Psalm 3. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Thanks, Jacob. Uh, my name's Carl. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're visiting here this morning, it's uh, great to have you with us. As Jacob said, we're starting a series on the book of Psalms uh, today. But uh, before we do that, let's, let's uh, bow together in prayer and ask God to bless uh, our time together. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, that you not only speak to us, but that you uh, help us to speak to you uh, in the words of the Psalms. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would teach us this morning how to cry out to you, how to express our troubles and our confidence in you, and how to call out for your aid. Lord, we know that we need you more than anything. And so, Lord, we ask that you would teach us that and that you would hear our prayers and come and rescue us and deliver us through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, Jacob told me this morning that uh, Google released this past week, or or recently at least, uh, their annual uh, report on the most popular searches. And one of the most popular searches from this past year was, how do you pronounce the word psalm? Uh, That might surprise you. It surprised me, uh, because you wouldn't think that most people would be interested in that uh, kind of question. And yet, it is a question that people have. People are interested in knowing about the Bible, and knowing about God, and knowing about who God is. Uh, And today, we're beginning a, a series, as I said, looking at this wonderful book of Psalms. We're beginning today, we're going to uh, dig into Christmas next week, but then through January as well, we'll be looking at the Psalms because it's wonderful every summer, as we've done from a number of years, to kind of stop and think about what it means to have a relationship with God. Uh, the Psalms are this uh, book, this wonderful book of a kind of a beautiful and vibrant description of biblical spirituality. What does it mean to know God? What does it mean to live in relationship to God in the day to day? And the Psalms really show us what that looks like. They're deeply theological, they're, they're kind of deeply invested with these truths about God, but they're also intimate and personal. They, they help us to put the feet on those big ideas about God and to express them in the context of our ordinary life. They show us what life with God looks like in the good times, but also in the bad times, in the hard times, in the difficult times. Sometimes life is difficult and sometimes we don't know what to do. We don't know where to go, we don't know who to turn to, we, we, uh, you know, we, we know that we should trust God, but how do we do that when God doesn't seem to be there? What do we do when the people around us seem to be making our lives difficult? What do we do when we're the ones who've made our lives difficult, when we've stuffed our lives up for ourselves and the people around us? What do we do? What do we do when we're depressed or anxious or discouraged or sick? 
or we can't seem to face what's going on. The Psalms give us words to express that and ways to address that. But sometimes life is good as well. Sometimes life isn't bad. Sometimes we're full of joy. Sometimes things are going along pretty well. There's nothing to complain about. And it's important for us to learn to live in those circumstances as well. How do we live when life is good? How do we live in relationship with God when things are just kind of humming along? How do we live in a relationship with God when God seems present to us, vivid to us? So today and through January, we're going to be thinking about some of those things and seeing what the Psalms have to teach us about that. The psalm that we're looking at today is Psalm 3, which Jacob read, and that really falls into the, uh, you know, living in difficult times kind of category. Uh, The uh, the writer begins uh, by speaking about the trouble that they're facing. And so if you're facing uh, trouble at the moment, this is a great psalm for you. Uh, If a friend or a family member or someone that you know is facing trouble, this is a great psalm for you as well because it will help you to know how to encourage them. And it's a great psalm for all of us, even if we're not struggling at the moment, because sooner or later the day will come when we'll need that help, when we will be struggling and we'll need to know how to deal with that. Well, how does the writer of this psalm deal with his situation? He begins by letting God know what's going on. We know the background situation of this psalm because the little title, the little words at the beginning of the psalm uh, tell us the context. Those tiny little words uh, in most Bibles, they're in italics at the beginning of the psalm, uh, are original uh, parts of the Bible. Often in the rest of the Bible, there's words in sort of bold type at the beginning of passages which have been added by modern day Bible editors to help us know what's going on. But these titles in the Psalms are original and this one tells us that this Psalm was written by David when he fled from his son Absalom. Uh, So David uh, wrote this Psalm when his son Absalom had launched a takeover bid for the kingship. David was the king, he was God's anointed king And his son, Absalom, had slowly over the years worked his way into the hearts of the people until the day came when he gathered his forces to steal from his own father the kingship and the throne. But before uh, before Absalom could kind of finish that job, uh, David managed to, to, to run away. He fled with his supporters. And this psalm is written in the context of that. So as David languishes, having fled from his home, having fled from the throne, from the kingship, having fled from his own son, David here pens this psalm and he begins by crying out to God. And in verse 1 he says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? He looks around, David looks around him. He looks at the numbers of people who have risen against him and he despairs. He feels overwhelmed, he feels abandoned, he feels alone. But it's not just the number of people that are standing against him. He's also discouraged by what they're saying. Look at verse 2. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. That is, they're saying to David, God isn't with you. God isn't on your side. He's with us. 
you get an idea of exactly what David was facing in, in 2 Samuel chapter 16, one of the other books of the Bible. In, in 2 Samuel 16, this stranger, this stranger by the name of Shimei, comes out as David is fleeing and he basically says to David, you get it, you're getting what you deserve. God has avenged his wrath on you because you stole the kingship from Saul, from the previous king. You're getting exactly what you deserve. Now, that wasn't true. Uh, Saul had lost the kingship. God had taken it away from him. God had given it to David. But even when things aren't true, if they're said loudly enough and if they're said often enough, they can slowly wear us down. It can be wearing. And sometimes even... The more it's said, the more we begin to wonder, maybe I was wrong. Maybe God isn't with me. Maybe God is against us. And so although none of us are being chased out of a kingdom, none of us are being threatened with a sword, none of us yet have had to flee our homes, although none of us can relate with the exact circumstances that David was facing, we can still relate with the same painful realities that David felt. It's hard. It's hard when it feels as though everyone is up against you, or when you feel as though everyone is opposing you. It can be hard when it seems that those who were your friends are now your enemies, are no longer your friends They've abandoned you. They're criticizing you. It can be hard when you're being bullied, whether at work or at school or in the home or in the church. Sometimes uh, we can feel that way, maybe because we have a persecution complex. You know, maybe sometimes we just, we just think that everyone's out to get us and they're not really. Sometimes people can justly oppose us because we've done something that's not right. And we need to be careful that we read the situation rightly and we need others around us sometimes to help us to know what the reality is and what what the truth is. But like for David, there can also be times when we are just simply victims of injustice. When for no good reason people stand up and oppose us without cause. I feel a bit like that uh, when I watch the news these days. I'm not sure about you, but when I watch the news, I, I feel a bit like that when people ridicule Christians. Or I feel a bit like that when people say that what we believe is stupid, or worse, dangerous, that we're destroying society and and destroying people's lives. I feel a bit like that when people say that we shouldn't even be allowed to say what the Bible says. I feel a bit like that when people say that Christian business owners should either be forced to do what they don't want to do, what's against their conscience and their convictions, or be forced out of business. 
Or I feel a bit like that when I hear people say that Christian health workers should be forced to do procedures that they think are wrong. Or Christian teachers should teach things that they think are wrong. I feel a bit like that when people say that we're on the wrong side of history. Or that we're destroying society and people's lives. It can feel sometimes when you read the paper or you turn on the news or even when you talk to people that the world is against us. It's not entirely, but it can feel like that, can't it? And we can begin to ask questions like, where is God in this? What is God doing? Am I on the wrong side of history? Am I wrong about this? And people might even begin to say, God won't deliver them. God's not on their side. Or they might say, God won't deliver them because he's just a figment of their imagination. And slowly it can wear us down. Maybe they're right. So often the way that we respond to those situations and to that reality that we face is by complaining to each other or by complaining to the newspapers, writing editorial, you know, opinion pieces for the newspaper, when really the person that we should be complaining to is God, Lord, how many are rising up against me? How many are my foes? David shows us that we need to let God know what's going on. Not that God doesn't know already. But God wants us to learn to call out to him. He wants us to tell him how we feel. He wants us to let him know how hard things are. He wants us to ask for his help. Because he wants us to know that he's the only one who can do anything about it. We need to say to God, God, they're rising up against us. They're rising up against me. There's too many. I need your help. So David lets God know what's going on. Next, David reminds God, uh, reminds himself, I should say, of who God is. He reminds himself of who God is. Verse 3 begins with, but you. All these things are going on, David says. My life is falling apart. They're rising up against me, but you. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. The problem with a shield is that it only protects you in a limited way in one direction. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those, you know, period dramas or whatever they are from the first century and there's there's the Roman centurion holding this tiny little shield and you think gosh and they're wearing those kind of leather straps around their legs and you're thinking that's not really going to protect you from anything you know they have these tiny little shields the shield can only protect you if it's right before you and if it's if it's right where the danger is coming but David says God is not a shield like that God is a shield all around us not just in one direction but every way That's why he can say in verse 6, I won't be afraid of thousands all around me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where the attacks are coming from. God protects us in front, behind, to the left, to the right, above or below. It doesn't matter where the attacks come from. God is able to protect us. 
God also lifts David's head up high. David fears being cast down, humiliated, destroyed, overcome. But he reminds himself that God will ultimately lift him up and rescue him. Whatever happens, God will lift us up. In verse 4, David says, I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. David isn't calling out to an empty space. He's not calling out to an empty room. He's calling out to God. To God on his holy mountain. God isn't beyond hearing and beyond helping. Sometimes we think that God is so far away that he can't hear us or he can't help us. You know, even by the time the message gets there, maybe it'll be too late. But David says, you hear me. Like David, we need to remind ourselves that God does hear and God does answer and God does help. When you're tempted to think that you're on your own, that you're facing whatever it is that you're facing alone, you need to remind yourself. You need to do what David did. You need to remind yourself that God is a shield around you. God will lift your head up. God will hear you from his holy mountain. When you're tempted to think that God has abandoned you or that God doesn't care or that your enemies are too strong or that you're too weak, you need to do what David did and you need to remind yourself that God is a shield around you. God will lift you up. God will hear from his holy mountain. I don't know what you're facing at the moment in your life. Maybe you're not facing anything much at all. Praise the Lord. But maybe you are facing something very difficult. Uh, I was talking to somebody last week uh, and, and they are facing something very difficult. And I read this psalm on Monday morning and I thought, that's exactly what they're facing. You know, these words aren't just for David, but they're for us. Maybe you're facing something like that at the moment. Maybe you're facing enormous challenges. Maybe you feel like you're surrounded on every side. Or maybe it's just one side, but it's just very, very difficult. Please believe that God is a match for all your troubles. Please believe that if you've put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then God is a shield around you and he'll lift your head up. Despite all your sin, despite the fact that you don't deserve it, God is a shield. God is your protector. But David also says that God gives him sleep. What a wonderful promise that is. Verse 5, I'll lie down and sleep. I wake again because... The Lord sustains me. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but at one level, sleep is quite terrifying, isn't it? For eight hours of the day, you're just kind of, you know, almost completely unconscious to what's going on around you. You, just, you lie down and you wake up eight hours later. It's actually a really kind of threatening condition. And for David, the thought of sleeping must, be, must have been utterly terrifying. Think about it. He's escaped. He's fled for his life. He knows that his son's coming after him, that he wants to attack him. And he's trying to sleep. And he thinks, I could close my eyes and the next thing I know, the camp is under attack. 
My son is standing above me, ready to kill me. Imagine trying to sleep in those conditions. Must have been like trying to sleep in the trenches of World War I. But David says, it's remarkable, that he can lie down and sleep because God is looking after him. Even if he's not awake, God is awake. Nothing can happen to him outside God's fatherly care. He can lie down and sleep even if there are thousands of enemy soldiers standing around his tent. Well, even if we're not afraid of sleeping, actually sleeping, nevertheless, we can sometimes still feel the same need for constant vigilance. We can't relax. We can't rest. We say to ourselves, I need to be alert Otherwise, that will happen, or that will happen. Otherwise, life will fall apart. If I don't pay attention, life will fall apart. The family will fall apart. Work will fall apart. And that can lead to real sleeplessness, either because we're so worried about it that we can't sleep, or it can lead to sleeplessness because we keep ourselves awake, desperately fighting to protect ourselves by our eternal vigilance. Maybe you can't sleep because you're worried about work. Maybe you can't sleep because you're worried about the home loan. Maybe you can't sleep because you're worried about school or university results. Maybe you can't relax because you're worried about the kids. You can't let them out of your sight, just even for a minute, because you're terrified of what might happen to them. You feel that you have to protect them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you're exhausted. We have a tendency to be eternally vigilant, but we need to fight that tendency to want to control everything and manage everything. And we need to trust God and we need to sleep. Finally, David says in verse 6, I won't fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. It doesn't matter, David says, how many enemies there are. It doesn't matter how big the problem is. God is bigger than that problem. What's the worst thing that you could face? Think about that. What is the worst thing that you could face? What's your worst nightmare? I have lots of worst nightmares. I never realized it until somebody pointed it out, but I always say, oh, it's my worst nightmare. So my worst nightmare can be just running out of milk in the morning or something like that and having to go to the shops, uh, you know, or the chairs not being set up straight or something like that. But, you know, there are, there are those kinds of worst nightmares, aren't there? And then there are real worst nightmares. You know, what's the thing that you fear the most? It's a good thing to think about, isn't it? You know, what, maybe it's not one thing, maybe it's a few things. What is it that you fear the most? Maybe it's losing your husband or your wife or losing one of your children or losing one of your parents, losing your job or your home. or Maybe it's losing your faith. What is it that you fear the most? David says God is bigger than that. I won't fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. 
And we don't have to wait for that catastrophe to come to remind ourselves that God is trustworthy. We can say that now. What's your worst fear? You can say now, God, even if that happens, I will trust you. I'll trust you. Even if I lose my house, I'll trust you. Even if I lose my job, I'll trust you. Even if I lose my husband or my wife or my child or one of my parents, I'll trust you. I don't know how I'll do it, but I'll trust you. And we need to learn to say those things before those days come so that when they do come, we're prepared for them. We're prepared to trust God. So David lets God know what's going on. He reminds himself of who God is. He's the God who protects us as a shield around us from thousands on every side. But finally, David also calls out to God uh, to act. He doesn't just remind himself about the truth. He calls on God to do something. He says in verse 7, Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Now, to us, that sounds really quite harsh, doesn't it? It sounds quite severe, and it is in many ways quite severe, quite harsh. But there's a kind of reversal here that we have to understand that's going on. Just as David's enemies rise up against him, he calls on God to rise up against them. Just as David's enemies are saying, God won't deliver him, David says to God, you've got to deliver me. And just as David's enemies had been taunting David with all their words... He calls on God to stop them, break their jaws. That is, stop them from speaking. Stop them from saying those things, from telling those lies. At first, it seems brutal, but what David is asking for is just for it to stop. Just for it to end. If his enemies won't stop it themselves then he needs God to stop them for him. And we need to learn that it's not wrong for us to do that. It's not wrong for us to want it to stop the injustice, the opposition, the difficulties and the hardship. It's not wrong to want it to stop. And it's not wrong to want the people behind those things, to be stopped. It's not wrong to call out to God and say, Lord, please stop them from doing that evil. You know, if you're being bullied at school or being bullied at work, it's not wrong to call out to God to stop that. It's not wrong to call out to God that those, the plans of those people would fall on their own heads. But even as we do that, we need to understand that one of the ways that God stops people is not only by judging them, but also by bringing people to repentance. That's what so frustrated Jonah when he was sent by God to Nineveh. He knew that God was gracious, and if the people repented at the threat of God's judgment, that God would have mercy on them. And he was angry because he was like, no, I want them to be judged. 
I don't, want, I don't want them to be stopped by repentance. I want them to be stopped by being wiped out. But God had greater plans. God turned them from their evil and they turned to God. God is a God of great mercy. And God can make those things that besiege us end, either through judgment or by mercy. But you know, the most remarkable thing I think about this particular psalm is that it finds its greatest fulfillment not in our lives and our difficulties, but actually in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the most remarkable thing about this psalm is that we are not chiefly the one crying out, but in many ways, we're the ones being cried out against. You see, God, as we remember at Christmas time, sent his son into the world. He sent the king of all the world into the earth to save and redeem us. And what did we do? We raided the city. And we drove him out. And we strung him up on a cross. It was Jesus who could most aptly cry, Lord, how many are rising up against me? How many are my foes? They're saying, God won't deliver me. There is no greater injustice than that the God of our universe came into our world and we rose up against him. We tried to kill him. We planned and executed his death and we still do that every day. We try to kick God out of our lives and kick God out of our world. But when Jesus cried out to God, God heard him. God delivered him. God raised him from the dead. God brought him salvation. And extraordinarily, he brought salvation to all those who trust in him as well. Even as we cry out for justice, even as we cry out for it to stop, we need to remember that God has shown us mercy, and even greater mercy, in the death and the resurrection of his son. And even as we face injustice and opposition, And difficulties and difficult times, we need to remember that we follow a saviour who has faced the same injustice, but greater still. And we follow a saviour who could cry out with us, many rise up against me. Many are saying God won't deliver me. But we also follow a saviour who cried out all those things and who triumphed. And who God delivered. And whom God gave the victory. Arise, O Lord, and deliver us through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, you know the situation of each one of us. And Lord, for some of us, things are going well. Lord, things are really just ticking along smoothly. We feel your nearness. Uh, We're thankful every day for the good gifts that you give us. And Lord, we thank you for that blessing and we thank you for that rich grace. But Lord, maybe there are some of us too who are facing just profound challenges.
profound difficulties. Lord, you know them and you know their hearts and you know their situation. Uh, And Lord, we just ask that you would draw near to them. Lord, as many rise up against them and as many are saying that you won't deliver them, Lord, prove those lies wrong and do a great work of grace. Lord, arise and deliver them. Arise and show your salvation. Arise and show your powerful work in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, strengthen us with that hope. Strengthen them with that hope. And help us as a community of people as well to draw alongside them, to walk through those valleys with them and to uh, strengthen them and carry them along, to remind them of your good truths, to pray for them, that together, Lord, we might see your great salvation uh, in the land of the living. Lord, we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we're going to uh, stand and sing in a moment a song which speaks about that.